The rest of you, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 22. It's on page 277 in the Pew Bible. Here in this section of Deuteronomy, we're looking at the various leaders of Israel, the prophets, rather the judges, the priest, the king, and now the prophets that would help lead God's people Israel. Let me read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 22. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked for uh, of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God or see his great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what the prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. There's a new business that opened in my town, actually just down the street from where I live. And it, it caught my eye. I didn't know what it was, but I kept driving by it. And the name of the business is Angels of Light. And uh, as a pastor or whatever, I was intrigued. I thought, that's an interesting name for a business. You know, I wonder what it is. And, uh, and I, you know, drive by it, taking kids to soccer or swimming or whatever. And, you know, would kind of wonder and forget about it. Well, then this week I was, you know, studying this passage and writing this sermon about all these things, you know, divination and magic and prophets and I was like I wonder if that had you know I had like sort of the random thought like I wonder if that has something to do with that so I googled angels of light and that's exactly what it is it, it uh, basically it's a kind of spiritualist church for lack of a better word where the reverend um channels messages from angels and has you know messages from angels and healing energies and and you can come for an angel reading which is kind of like from what I can gather, just reading the website and the internet, which is always a risky thing, right? But, but it's, it's like tarot cards, except it's sort of angel cards, and, and you get a reading from the angels. And apparently this is a big thing. Apparently this is sort of a, a new fad that's been emerging. I hadn't heard of it. But 
Um, and, and I think sometimes Christians get sucked into it too because it's angels, right? And angels are in the Bible, so it must be okay. Uh, but, 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 you know, as, as you look at this thing, it's, it's really just kind of a quasi-spiritualist church. They have Sunday services. They do baptisms. You can take How to Hear from an Angel 101, 201. You can take all these courses uh, right on down the line. They do weddings, uh, a spiritualist wedding or whatever. You know, sometimes when people hear about things like this, some people react and, and they just say, that is hogwash. What a bunch of nonsense. And they never give it a second thought. They just sort of dismiss it and say, ridiculous. Other people hear things like that and their response is different. They say, what if? You know, what if this world isn't all there is? What if this world that we can see isn't everything? What if there's kind of something beyond this world that we can't see? What if there's another side? And what if there's a way to get in touch with that? And, you know, I've tried everything else. Maybe I should try that. And, and so sometimes some people have that reaction to it. Well, as we look at the pages of, of the Bible and we look at Deuteronomy 18 today that kind of speaks to these matters, what we see is, is that God calls us to a different response than either of those. The biblical response isn't to say, yeah, baloney, because the Bible very much affirms the reality of the supernatural. But, but it also doesn't allow us to a sort of open-ended, free-formed exploration of, of all kinds of spiritual, mystical things to sort of find our own path and our own voice. Instead, what we find is that God does want to talk to us God does have something to tell us. There is a message from heaven. But God also wants to say it His way and in His manner. And as we look here in Deuteronomy, the manner that God has chosen to speak to His creation is through His prophets. Through His prophets and who through His Word. The prophets of God bring the Word of God. So you look at this text and that we just read. It falls into kind of two general clumps uh the, the the first sort of grouping of verses i would say is verses 9 to 13 which, which tells israel and us how not to seek god it's sort of like don't do it this way verses 9 to 13 and the second section is verses 14 to 22 where god says instead this is how i'm going to speak to you this is how i'm going to communicate with you and, and so let's look at the the don't first because that's what comes first verses 9 to 13 it says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. All the nations around Israel, I mean all of the nations around Israel, practiced idolatry, divination, magic, sorcery. That, that was the norm. That, that's what everybody did. Even the, uh, you know, the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, the Phoenicians, the Hittites, even the Canaanites into whose land Israel was going, they practiced this stuff as well. So this is just what was done. This was de rigueur. This was how uh, people sought divine uh, knowledge from you know, the other side, so to speak. And, and God says, you're not going to do it that way, Israel. Don't do that. All right? And then he gives them a list of things not to do in verses 10 and 11. He says, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. What's that all about? Well, uh, these nations practiced idolatry. They believed in a pantheon of gods who were represented by little statues. And, and so they would, in, in trying to find out the future or in trying to kind of get some divine assistance for their life, they would offer sacrifices to these gods. And, and the ultimate sacrifice, like the, the super-duper sacrifice when you were really 
serious about God's hearing from the gods helping you was to sacrifice a child in these Canaanite religions. So Moses kind of picks that extreme example of idol practice. That's what the nations did in order to get in touch with the other side. They also did other things, though. Look back at verse 10. They uh, practiced divination, sorcery. They interpreted omens. These are these three all kind of go together. It's, it's sort of this practice of divination. You know what's divination? Um, it's divination is trying to get guidance or insight or direction from the supernatural realm by observing patterns in the natural world. Does that make sense? Maybe this is easier. It's like astrology. Astrology is divination. It's trying to determine supernatural guidance from your life by observing the patterns of heavenly bodies and how they move. And based upon the movements and patterns and relationships of heavenly bodies, where certain messages or signs about how to make decisions for your life. Uh, you, you know, I've heard like reading the tea leaves. You know, you know what's a tea leaf? It's just you know a leaf. But but you look at it, some natural phenomena, believing that somehow the supernatural is giving you guidance uh, through it. And, and they did these things in the ancient world. Astrology was part of the ancient world. A dream interpretation. People would have dreams and they wouldn't just say, oh, I had a funny dream last night. They, they would say, I wonder what that's telling me I'm supposed to do. Uh, archaeologists have found Egyptian and Mesopotamian dream interpretation manuals. You know, if you have this dream, that means the gods are telling you to do this. If you have that dream, the gods are telling you to do that. And, and so it was a way of divination and divining the future and making decisions. Um, there's all kinds of divination that was practiced. They, they would look at the flights of birds and certain birds would fly by in a certain pattern or a certain direction and that was supposedly a sign. Uh, they would um, take a, a quiver with arrows, shake it around, and the arrow that fell out was the one that would tell you what to do. Certain arrows meant certain things. Uh, th- this is a big one. You, you may laugh at this one, but I'm telling you, this was huge in, in the ancient world around that time. Sheep's livers. That was big. Sheep's livers. They would kill a sheep. They would take its liver out from wherever the liver is in a sheep. And, and, and they would look at the liver. And depending on the shape of the liver and the things that were on it, it, it would tell them sort of what they were to do in a specific situation. Archaeologists have found practice livers. <laughs> you know, a, I, I've seen pictures of bronze livers. With, with markings on it so that you could teach people how to do this. So that, you know, you go to school and you learn how to be a diviner. And, and you would sit there, you know, Babylonian liver diviner, and they would look at it and they would learn this is how you figure out the future from those kinds of things. But not only was there divination of all shapes and sizes, there was also magic that was practiced. Look at verse 10. Anyone who engages in witchcraft or casts spells. So now we're moving from... You know, uh, divination really to more magic, which is not so much just trying to figure out the future, but kind of determining the future. The whole idea of magic is you're using the supernatural, however conceived, to to affect events for yourself in the future so that things turn out the way you want them to. I mean, why just find out about the future? Why not make it be what you want it to be? And then the last category here, don't don't practice. uh, Don't let there be anyone in the land who's a medium a spiritist or who consults the dead. So here's a person who finds out about whatever wants to be found out about by talking to spirits, whether the deceased or whether a familiar spirit or something like that. 
it's funny, as I read this list, uh, you know, the thought that comes to my mind is, wow, people are still doing all this stuff today. <laughs> this hasn't ended. P- people do this around here, you know? I mean, it's kind of funny because you're like, well, we're in the modern world and we're in New England. I mean, we're in Boston. People in Boston are pretty much smarter than the rest of the country, right? I mean, (laughs) we have Harvard, we have MIT. That osmotically makes all of us smarter uh, just by being near them. So, you know, we're smarter than the people in the South and all that. And, uh, you know, that's New England. But it's like, like, wow, we practice these things. People dismiss the Bible because they read the Da Vinci Code that amazing work of history. But, but then they believe this stuff. People go to tarot card readers. People do these things. People practice idolatry today. Maybe, you know, maybe we don't sacrifice children in the fire, but people put up little statues you know, of saints because they think that will bless their house or help them find their keys or whatever. It's, it's idolatry. It's not in the Bible. It's not Christianity. Right? They, people practice divination today. You, you know, people do follow the astrology charts. People do go to tarot card readers. Uh, you know, people try to make sense of dreams as if it's telling them what to do sometimes. Even we do this as Christians. Have you ever just been desperate as a Christian? You're like, what am I supposed to do? And you're just bound up and hard to make a decision. And you do that like Bible roulette thing where you're like, all right, God, I want you to speak to me now. You know, boom. And you read it and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Let's try it again, you know. You know, all right, Lord, heads, you're telling me to call her and ask her out. <laughs> Tails, you don't want me to call and ask her out, you know. Okay, two out of three, you know. Um, we, we just, I, you know, divination, all these things, this is not new. This is very ancient. And it really has never stopped. It's as old as humanity itself. And, and I think there's a part of us as human beings that just fall back into superstitions, we practice divination. We practice, you know, sorcery. People practice Wicca today. They practice witchcraft. If you don't believe there's people who are really into this, go to Salem on Halloween. And you will see it on open display. Or even, you know, have you guys heard about this book called The Secret? Heard about this book? I'll tell you this. It's, it's, it's sold 21 million copies. It's been translated into 47 languages. And I'm going to tell you the secret. This is the secret. Step one, tell the universe what you want. Step two, believe in your heart that you will receive it. Step three, you will receive it. Like, how is that different from magic? That's sorcery. (laughs) How is that not using the supernatural world and doing the right incantation to get what you want. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, maybe you don't shake a, a bone wand or something, but it's, it's trying to use the supernatural structure of nature as you perceive it to, to work to your advantage to get what you want. It's the same kind of thing. And mediums and spiritists, people, seances are in. You know, people do these things. It's sad. Some people who are, who are grieving loved ones and they're just in pain and, and they get tricked into this medium kind of stuff by, you know, sometimes by hucksters and charlatans. That, that, uh, that angels of light place is spiritism. It's seeking to consult spirits. And so lest any of us have any confusion about this, 
I love verse 12. God is blunt. I love when God is blunt. I really need him to be blunt because I tend to justify things in my own mind. But he's really blunt. He says, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Very strong language. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out the nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So we're not to seek God. We're not to seek truth or guidance or insight or healing or hope from all of these sort of mystical, shamanistic, spiritualistic kinds of practices. This isn't what God has called us to do. So how do we, how do we hear from God? You know, do we go to the other extreme then and say, well, I guess God doesn't really speak today and we just kind of do what we do and use our common sense? And Well, is there something in between where God speaks? Does God actually relate to us? Does God have something to tell us? And how would we know? And we see that God does have a word for us, but He wants to communicate it His way. Not our way, not our guess, but His way. And God's pattern is to communicate His word through a prophet. You look at verse 14. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God, instead, here's what He's going to do. He's going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. God will raise up a prophet. God's method of communicating is to give a prophet who brings his word. Now, what's a prophet? We should probably define a prophet. Uh, a prophet is a very simple concept. It's somebody who receives words from God and then goes and takes those words to whomever is supposed to hear them. Um, a prophet is an unoriginal. They don't make things up. They're not creative and you know savvy. They just they get the word from God. You know what do you read over and over in the Old Testament? The word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word comes to them. You know, they're sitting there and suddenly God talks to them. And God says, I want you to say this and I want you to say it to that person. And so they go and they go. Rah, rah, rah. I, I think of a prophet as like the UPS guy. You know? Like, just bring the package. That's it. Don't mess with it. Don't tweak it. The UPS guy didn't send the package. He didn't make up the package. He didn't wrap the package. The UPS guy just gets it, and if he does his job right, he just brings it to you without it getting messed up. And if he can do that, he's like, good UPS guy. And that's a good prophet. A good prophet gets the message, and he's faithful, and he doesn't chicken out. He doesn't mess it up. He doesn't water it down. He just says, this is what God said. As you can imagine, prophets weren't always that popular because they they brought sometimes hard words that people didn't want to hear, but that's how God delivered his messages through prophets. The ultimate example of the prophet is Moses. Here's Moses. He says in verse 15, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me. So that's Moses speaking. Moses is the prophet par excellence. Moses is the, the archetypal prophet. He is the fountainhead from which all the Old Testament prophetic tradition runs down. All of the Old Testament prophets who came after him are like Moses in a way. They, they, they're the ones who deliver God's word. If, if you want to think about what a prophet is, Think about when Moses got the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 16. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore 
or we will die. You know, do you, you remember the story when Israel got the Ten Commandments? You know that story from the Bible? Uh, they went out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, and God came down to give them the Ten Commandments and make a covenant with Israel. And He came down in fire and smoke, and the mountain was trembling. And, and then something really scary happened. God started talking. And when the people heard God's voice, they said, We don't want to hear God's voice, or we're going to die. He's holy. And the people were terrified. And so they said, Moses, why don't you go talk to God? We're going to go in our tents. And you come back and you just tell us what he said. And, and you give the word to us. That's a prophet. A prophet goes and he's a go-between between two parties. He gets God's word and then he brings it back and delivers it. So verse 17, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. That, that'll work. I will raise up for them a prophet. Like you, from among their brothers, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. So there it is again. A prophet brings words. Not feelings, not weird omens, not tea leaves. Not, not, he brings words. Like, you know, God is a talking God. What a concept. God talks. He speaks intelligibly and clearly. He speaks words. And so those words are given to the prophet and the prophet... The, the FedEx guy comes to your door and he gives you the word, says, this is what God said. You may like it, you may not, but that's the word of the Lord. And if anyone, verse 19, just to show the authority of the prophet, if anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. And so the prophet carried divine authority, not because he was anything special, but because he carried the very words of God. Now, that, of course, raises an interesting dilemma. How do you know if a prophet is from God or not? Because anybody can stand up and say they have a word from God. There were prophets of other nations. The other gods had prophets. I, I, uh, when I was on that website looking at that business, you know, they, they had this whole list of links you know, of different services they offer from Reiki to you know, uh, psychic healing or whatever, all these different things. And then one of them was a message from Master Jesus. And I was like, really? You know, so I've got to click on that. So I clicked on that. And it was this long message from, from Master... I'm like, first of all, Master Jesus. I'm like, is that like Master Yoda? Like, what, you know, what is that? It, so it, so it, it kind of had this sort of yogi, yogic kind of feel to it. But, but it was this long sort of message from Jesus about how much he loves everybody and he wants to heal everybody. And, you know, but as I read it more, it's like it took some biblical images and language, but just sort of filled it with New Age theology and philosophy. So it sort of had like a Jesus outside, but a New Age inside. You know, it was a different flavor when you bit into it. And, but it was hidden underneath Jesus' language. And, and I was like, wow, here's someone claiming to have a prophetic word from Jesus. And it doesn't square with, with what he's told us, with his word. And so that's what Moses says, verse 20. A prophet who presume, presumes to speak in my name, anything I've not commanded him to say... Or a prophet who speaks the name of other gods, in Israel anyway, must be put to death within the boundaries of Israel. That's what had to happen. You may say to yourselves, how are we to know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? Someone could say they're speaking for the Lord, but how do you know? Verse 22, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. And so bottom line, eventually a prophet tries to tell the future and if it doesn't come true, you don't have to fear that prophet or 
tremble when they come in the room. So this is God's plan. God wants to speak to us, but He speaks His Word that is then written down from the prophets speak it, then they write it down, and we have His Word. We have the words of God. It's an amazing thing. And and, and do you see how different that is from the whole mystical divination path? You you know, the the problem, real problem with all that stuff, divination, sorcery, and all that, is that it's fundamentally a rejection of the Word of God. That's the real problem with it. It's, it's not even that it's satanic or occult. It's that it's, at the deeper level, it rejects God's word. That's what makes it bad. Is that it says, no, God, you haven't spoken. No, we won't submit to what you say because I, I have a feeling or I have a dream or I have an impression or I had a weird experience and I interpret it this way instead of submitting to the word of God. Here's what's really interesting. Check this out. The rationalistic skeptic also is doing the same thing. They're rejecting the Word of God too. Just on different grounds. Their, their grounds is, is they have sort of divinized their, their mind. That, that my reason is ultimate. That my reason is the last resort. That if it doesn't conform with my intellect, then therefore it can't be true as if I know all. And, and so rather than looking to the tea leaves or the birds or the sheep's liver, you're looking to reason beyond what reason was meant to do you know i I believe in being reasonable but i don't believe in being rationalistic which is a worldview that depends upon the mind alone for all truth and knowledge you know that's not right either but it's the same they're both rejecting the authority of god's word and what he said it's like this imagine imagine there's a store or a business whether it's a spiritualist business or tarot cards or a psychic fair what you know some some place like that in your town And imagine two cars driving down the roads going in very opposite directions and they both happen to pass each other at the same moment and as they pass each other, they're both directly in front of that store and both drivers look over at the store at the same time. Driver in car number one sees the store and says, hogwash, that stuff is baloney, I don't believe in any of that stuff, I just rely on my own common sense, you know, all that stuff's out the window. Driver number two, going in the very opposite direction, says, I wonder if there's something to that. You know, there is something else out there. Boy, I might want to inquire about that. And and, and you look at those two drivers passing each other, and you say, boy, those people, they're going in opposite directions. They're they're responding very differently. And at one level it's true, but at another level it's the same. Because they're on the same road. And it's the road called, I don't accept the Word of God just in different ways. So this is the issue, is how do we respond when God speaks through His prophets and when it's written down and it's given to us? Do we accept it or not? I want to show you a text that really shook me when I was studying for this. Put a bookmark here in Deuteronomy. I'd like you to turn to 1 Samuel 15.22. It's on page 277 in the Pew Bible. 1 Samuel 15:22 page 277 This this verse is amazing. So so this is another prophet. It's a guy who lived about eh, 400 years ish after Moses. And he was a prophet and he was in the time of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And and God gave a very explicit mission to King Saul. He said I want you to go wipe out the Amalekites. These people that God had determined it was time for him to judge them. And he said, you go wipe out the Amalekites. Don't let anything live. Don't even take any sheep or goats home as plunder. It's all going to belong to God. So 
So destroy it all and give it to him. So King Saul went, but he didn't do what God said. Do you remember the story? He, he mostly killed them, but he kept for himself the best sheep and the best goats and all that stuff. So Samuel the prophet walks in and King Saul's like, I did it. I did what the Lord said. And Samuel the prophet's like, then why do I hear sheep and cows? Like, you, you didn't do it. I did do it. Well, what are all these animals? Oh, well, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice them to God. We saved them for a sacrifice. So it looks religious, but fundamentally he didn't do what God said. And so Samuel calls him on it. First Samuel 15:23. Samuel the prophet replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. God doesn't care about our religiosity. If we're not obeying His Word, like that's real Christianity is about hearing the voice of God and obeying it. And you can't cover that up with ritualism. It's like, I don't care about your sacrifice. You need to obey my word. Now get this. Verse 23. Buckle your seatbelt. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. You know, I don't practice divination. I would never go to an angel reader. I would never go to a seance. That's bad. That's a cult. That's satanic. But if I don't obey God's Word, that's obvious, and I don't forgive my brothers and sisters like Jesus told me, and I don't love my neighbor as myself, God says, same difference. It's just as wrong and, and evil. You know, I don't worship idols. That, that's ridiculous. I would never bow down to a statue. No, we don't do that. We're enlightened. Yeah, but if you're arrogant, verse 23, and, and think you don't need God and you're smarter than all that, same difference. It's just different ways of rejecting the Word of the Lord. And so he says at the end of verse 23, because you have rejected the Word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. My friends, you know, this is why we're struggling in our marriages. Because husbands and wives won't listen to the word of the Lord. You know, it's like, man, if I would just learn to love my wife as Christ loved the church, how many problems would that diffuse in my house? You know, this is why. Kids and parents are at each other's throats because everybody isn't submitted to the word of the Lord. And I know it's, it's complex. And I know that you know, marriages are complex and life is complex. And I don't want to grossly oversimplify this. You know, the, the bush is very complex, but the bush has a root. And the root is simple. It's the word of the Lord that ultimately, if you trace all the factors back, you find people not heeding what God has to say. Go back to the Garden of Eden. You know, what did Satan say to Eve? He said, she said, Satan said to Eve, did the Lord really say? He questioned what God said. Eve committed two sins in the Garden of Eden. The second sin was to eat the forbidden fruit. The first sin was to disbelieve the word of the Lord. 
It was a mental and a heart sin before she actually went and plucked an eight. And so that's, that's the root of it. And so the history of humanity is one of brokenness and pain. Greatness too, but, but brokenness and sin. And fundamentally at the core, it's because we haven't accepted His Word. Whether it's in our families or our, our singleness or our jobs. You know, why, why do churches blow up? Why do churches get in fights? Because the people in the church stop following the Word. You know, people get arrogant. Often it's the pastor. But people in power get full of themselves. Or people who don't have power wish they did, and they get full of themselves. Somebody gets full of themselves. Somebody gets arrogant. And we begin to disregard God's Word and not be humble and not be loving and, and defer to each other. It's the same thing. That's why the world is filled with great evils today. Warfare, oppression, human trafficking, uh, abortion, poverty. I mean, all these things. That, that, you, know, you trace them back and it's, it's coming out of this rejection of what the Lord would have us do. This is the human condition, spiritually speaking. And the amazing thing of the Bible is that God still wants to talk to us. Isn't that amazing? Despite how little we've listened, He still wants to talk to us. Despite how much I try to hear what I want to hear, He's still talking to us. God is a talking God, and in His mercy, He didn't say, well, you don't want to listen? Fine, I'm not going to talk. That's what I do. You know, People don't want to listen to me. I'm like, fine, whatever, that's your problem. But God just keeps talking and talking and talking, hoping that we would listen calling out to a people through His Word. Go back to Deuteronomy 18. What does Moses say? Verse 15. I love this. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. Verse 19. Or 18. Or 17 rather. No, 18. Yeah, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. So twice God says, I'm going to raise up another prophet. Even though He knew Israel was so rebellious and ignored His word so much, God's like, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to raise up another prophet. And so that's the history of Israel is God raising up prophet after prophet after Moses. You know, there's Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joe, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. You know, all the prophets. And then there's all the prophets who didn't get a book named after them. You know, there's Nathan and, and un, unknown anonymous prophets who come and speak the word of the Lord. And so God just keeps speaking and speaking and Israel keeps ignoring and ignoring. And so God has been faithful to raise up these prophets. But ultimately, God raised up the, the ultimate prophet who is the Lord Jesus Himself. He is the prophet that was raised up by God. I mean, think about Jesus. He, he truly was a second Moses. Jesus truly was. He truly uh, was close to God like Moses was. In fact, look at this. This will blow your mind. Turn to the very... This is my last little section but of Deuteronomy. But look at Deuteronomy 34. The very last chapter, the very last section. I know you're not supposed to read the end of the book. But we're going to read it. And just so you know, spoiler alert, Moses dies. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, he dies at the end of Deuteronomy. But you'll still like it even though you know that. It's this little spoiler. But uh, So at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. If you look at Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, 
It says, now Joshua, son of Nun, that was Moses' understudy, his right-hand man, was, full of, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. So the Lord did raise up a prophet like Moses. His name was Joshua. He was the next guy to lead Israel. And yet, in another sense, Joshua wasn't the guy. So Joshua was the guy, but he wasn't. Because look what it says in verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. You're like, what do you mean? There have been lots of prophets. Yes, there have. But in another sense, no, there hasn't. Because Moses was unique. He knew the Lord face to face. Verse 11, he did miraculous signs and wonders to Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials and the whole land. No one's ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So in one sense, Moses' prophetic ministry carried on. In another sense, it never did. And there is this waiting for someone who would fulfill the ultimate be the ultimate prophet. And that was Jesus. Jesus who was intimate with God like Moses. In fact, more intimate with God than Moses was. You know, Moses talked to God face to face. Jesus was God. You know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I mean, amazing. The miracles Jesus did, greater than Moses. And ultimately, the salvation that Jesus brought on the cross was so much greater than the salvation that Moses brought. And so Moses delivered Israel from physical slavery. Jesus delivered us from our sins. He died on the cross to forgive me. Jesus, I mean, think about this. God looked at my whole life of rejecting His Word. And rather than rejecting me, He rejected His Son in my place. God looked at my life and said, because you have rejected my word, I will reject my son, the king. Wow, God died for me. And he rose again. And now he's the king. And, and he's still speaking to us today. Jesus is still speaking through his word. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, repent, believe, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ is still calling sinful, word-rejecting people like me and like you to come to Him. Christ forgives. He died. It's not just knowledge. It's not just direction and information. It's forgiveness and salvation. Jesus was once asked by a crowd of people, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus said, this is the work that God requires. To believe in me, the one he has sent. That's it. It's to receive his word. To receive him as your savior. Because God is still speaking. Are we listening? Let's pray.